0: Live from the Great White North. This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to
1: succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Investor. I'm Braden Dennis, and I'm joined by Simon Belanger. How am I dealing with the accent, there, Simon?
0: Hi, it's getting better every it's podcast. Getting, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's You're bit gonna better. be. a You're going to be fluent in French soon enough.
1: Oh, perfect. So today's episode, we're going to talk about DRIPS, which is a dividend reinvestment plan. We're going to talk about the basics of compound interest, different order types when you're buying stocks, and something called stop losses. And then later in the episode, we're going to talk about uh, the Canadian tech darling Shopify. All right, so let's kick it off with drips. To give you an overview of what that is, it's called a dividend reinvestment plan. And what that allows you to do is set your brokerage to an automatic uh, purchasing of stocks when it issues a dividend, if possible. So I will preface it that it's unfortunate that no Canadian broker to this day allows you to drip partial shares like you can in the US. So I'll give a basic example, if you have a stock that dishes out $10 in dividends, but it costs $20, you're just going to get that $10 in cash and you're not going to be able to purchase a full share. In the US, they allow you to buy half a share. So that's unfortunate. But if you are accumulating a bunch of wealth and you have larger positions, you'll be able to automatically buy more stock with that dividend without purchasing um, an actual commission, without you know, having to pay that commission fee every time you buy stock. So, that's the essence of it. Did I miss anything on there, uh, Simon?
0: Uh, no, you went over uh, it pretty pretty well, think uh, mean- I have a few trips myself going on. So usually if you have, for example, like $60 for a $50 stock, you'll get the $50 stock and then um, you'll get the rest in cash. Uh, one of the big advantages is when you do it, you actually don't get charged any fees. So uh, that one stock that you're buying, say you have, uh, you're have, you doing the example I just said, um, the brokerage account won't charge you any fees to buy it. Whereas if you do a transaction, you'll get the normal $5 or $10 fee.
1: Mm-hmm. And I've seen, we were talking before we started recording, I've actually seen some real estate investment trusts that have monthly distributions do like 20 for one stock splits so that investors are able to take advantage of the drip in Canada. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are talking yes uh, last week about Constellation Software, that stock trades for over $1,000 a share, so the chances are you'll probably never drip that, that stock, but You're still compounding your interest when you're collecting that cash and then adding it to your next contribution, whether you're adding it back into that position or or a new position. You're still taking advantage of compound interest, but uh, it is unfortunate. I mean, maybe one day Canadian brokerages will allow drips, um, but I have never seen anything. Have you ever seen any headlines of anyone making way on that?
0: Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I've been like obviously listening to a lot of American bra- um podcasts about uh, investing and obviously they talk about it all the time where they can do um, fractional shares. Um, I'm not sure when it started all like exactly, but hopefully it'll come to Canada at some point.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure how they ac- do the accounting for like outstanding shares when everyone has, you know, fractional shares because... <laughs> I'm not really sure how that works in their accounting of, of uh, outstanding shares on their balance sheet, but um, I guess I'll have to do some research.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Maybe with, uh, especially in the States now, they're not charging any fees uh, for transaction. That just changed uh, recently with Schwab. Um, so, And I think a bunch of brokers that followed suit. So maybe these type of changes and lower fees, but also drips uh, with, for fractional shares all come to Canada eventually.
1: Yeah, but like I said, you're still taking advantage of compound interest, which leads into our next topic, which is something you've probably heard about since grade five about compound interest um, and probably heard the quote that Albert Einstein says, it's the eighth wonder of the world. But it really is important when it comes to investing um, and growing your wealth, it really starts to take off. So. Um, Simon did a couple calculations and uh, he's going to share those with you.
0: Yeah, so I gave uh, like I calculated three examples, and you can uh, anyone can do this uh, very easily by just going online. I know uh, the I'm using the one from the Ontario Securities Commission, um, uh, but you can find some pretty much uh, (laughs) just type in compound interest calculator. Uh, So the first scenario I did was for someone, probably some of our younger listeners that are just starting. So I did an initial investment of zero dollars, regular addition hundred dollars a month. So it's not that much, uh, but still, uh, you'll see how it makes a difference. Uh, the interest rate I put seven percent. Uh, I mean, historically that's fairly reasonable. Um, you've especially in this bull market, that's actually probably a bit conservative. Uh, but I wanted to be not too ambitious. Um, the interest is compounded semi-annually uh, in this example, and I put 30 years to grow. So if someone's in their early 20s and starting out. Um, so what we get at the end of the thirty-year period is that we get a total value of the investment of a hundred and nineteen thousand dollars and six hundred and eighteen. Uh, uh, $119,000, sorry. Um, so that's quite staggering that just $100 a month over 30 years, um, will amount to that much money. Um, if you change the same, if you use the same scenario and you put 6% instead, uh, let's say you're paying, uh, some, for some mutual funds that are higher, um, uh, Management fees. Um, let's see the difference that it makes. So instead of un- having 119,000, you get 99,000 over that 30-year period. So that's why we're talking uh, on our other episode the effect that actually um, those management fees have. So it's quite staggering uh, the the changes. But um, I really wanted to use this example with a small contribution for people that think a hundred dollars might not make much of a difference. It actually does. Um, do you have any comments on this scenario, Beretta?
1: Yeah, I like how you brought up the fees and how that can affect it because Nestwealth did a study uh, that they published on Money Sense that had $320,000 as the average Canadian who hits their retirement target date pays in fees. And so um, not only did they miss out, not, sorry, not only did they pay fees, but they're actually missing out on this compounding effect. Uh, in the future and that's where it really starts to affect your portfolio early is when you 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 reduce that interest that it's compounding just by one percentage point like you just used or two percentage points and it makes a massive difference especially over time but uh, yeah it's good to share some examples
0: yeah exactly and if you actually use two percent less uh, in that same example then you go from one hundred and nineteen to eighty two thousand in a thirty year period so that's a uh... roughly difference so uh, it's pretty staggering and we'll see the difference a bit more with the next examples Um, so the second example we're thinking of someone who has a bit of a lump sum not a large lump sum so $5,000 say for a TFSA Um, this person's doing $200 extra a month again seven percent interest rate and since this um you know, someone might be a bit more in their late 20s, early 30s. I just put 25 years in terms of times to grow. Um, so when we calculate that, uh, we end up over the 25 year period uh, with $187,000. And if I go again, I go down 1% at 6%. So we go to, uh, we end up at 158,000, almost 159. And if I go down again at 5%, it goes down to 135000 So you start seeing the big difference in terms of if you pay high fees, what that difference can really make over the long term. And that's, again, the compounding effect works both ways. So if you're paying it in fee, it won't compound as quickly for you.
1: Yeah, and those are using really conservative numbers too, like 6%, 7%. Um, but to flex on everyone on this podcast, but I'm up 28% this this year. So these, sometimes the market goes up 30%. Um, so you know, on average, I think the S&P, the number of people throw around is 10%. So it really can go a long way if you're consistently dollar cost averaging over over a lifetime. So yeah, that's that's great. Um, yeah, we,
0: we also but, have been in a bull run, a historical <laughs> bull run. So I'm taking that into account, but I think 7% is, is pretty realistic, yeah.
1: What are you talking about? The market is just going to go up forever. I don't know what you're talking.
0: about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and now the last example, I'm thinking about someone who is probably mid career, has a decent chunk of money in their RSP, most likely. Um, so a starting initial investment of a hundred thousand dollars. Because this person is mid career, I'm thinking, you know, mid 30s, uh, early 40s, um, probably around there. Who's looking to retire around 60. Um, in terms of monthly addition Um, and then again 7% interest rate still compounded semi-annually so if we calculate that um, that's uh, just a couple it's actually just a thousand dollars shy of half a million Um, again if we do the same exercise and we go down to six percent we're at four hundred and seventeen thousand dollars so we just lost uh, about 80 grand in terms of value and then If we go to 5%, we're at $350,000. So if you pay a 2% uh, management fee and everything else being equal uh, compared to not paying that fee, uh, you have a difference $150,000 at the end of that uh, period, which is like the first time I did this exercise, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know. I remember when I started investing, I was messing around with compound interest calculators as well. and. and factoring in those fees just to really see, wow, that's not an insignificant amount of money. 150K is a lot of money to pretty much anyone. So yeah, that's definitely worth considering. So when you're going to actually execute your investing strategy, you need to be able to use your discount brokerage service so you don't pay these fees and you need to be able to execute what are called orders, which is just simply put buying the stock or selling the stock as well and there's two order types we're gonna talk about because they're the most important. I believe there's like seven different order types you can go through. I've only ever used two. Uh, so chances are you'll only really never use two. And those two are market price and an, uh, a limit type. So a market is basically just buying it at what the market is trading it at, at that very time. Um, and it'll execute whatever the market is is pricing it at, at when you put the order in. A limit is when you actually put in the price you want to pay, and it'll execute if it is if it can meet that. If not, it'll just basically expire at the end of the day or if you specify a certain time. Um, but if you're buying a liquid stock or like an actively traded stock, so think of larger companies, you pretty much only ever need to use market um But Simon brought up a good point last episode that if you're buying an illiquid stock, so like a small cap, for instance, you might want to put in a a limit so that you don't have some massive price fluctuation and you get unlucky.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's how I kind of do it when I invest. So if something is liquid uh, and I've... I am I like the price that it's trading at and I want to add into a position or start a new one, I'll just put market order. Um, if I'm looking to buy something that's not very liquid, so small caps, uh, some ETFs uh, won't be traded as much. So anything that's less, I would say then uh, 10,000 shares a day is probably not very liquid. So what that means is there could just be one trade that's a fairly significant order and it'll make the, the price really go up or down. So you wanna kind of avoid that with the uh, limit order.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and another fun little thing you can do on your brokerage account is initiate stop losses. So that is another thing we wanted to talk about today. It is something that I personally do not use. I do not use stop losses. I never have and I've never um, really thought about using them. So basically what a stop loss is, you can initiate a price to make your broker automatically sell if it goes below that limit. So hence the name stop losses. So if it goes below that or you put in like 25%, so if you lose 25% suddenly, And it's going to initiate a sell. Um, The reason that I don't own those is a recession that happens typically every seven years based on long, long long-term macroeconomic uh, studies show that a recession is a loss of 25% in the market. So why would I liquidate my entire portfolio in a recession if it falls 25%? Um, If you are scared of losing 25%, maybe you shouldn't be in stocks at all. That's my synopsis on stop losses. What do you have to add to that?
0: Uh yeah, I'm like that too. I don't, uh, I don't use stop losses. Um, it's also kind of it goes against the uh, to me like just what investing is, which is more for the the long term. So buying into good companies that you believe in for the long term. The problem with stop losses, it just it implies that you are selling when it's lower so basically you're buying high selling lower but stopping your loss so it doesn't um, i think you can make a lot of bad decisions by doing that Uh, especially if people say well you know i'll sell and then when it keeps going lower i'll just buy more well that does not always happen and you also need the courage to you know buy some more shares if it goes even lower so i would not recommend that i would just make sure that people are comfortable with the companies. Their ETFs that they own, and that uh, they kind of think about it, do the exercise in their mind, and just, um, you know making sure that they're okay with their portfolio going down 10, 15, 20, 30, 40% uh, and you know, not having to sell. Um, it's probably a good thing if uh, to help with that if people actually have an emergency kind of savings uh, uh, on the side where it's not invested in the market. It's in uh, like just a savings account where you can actually dip into that. If you lose your job, if something bad or a big expense happens, you don't have to sell your stock. So that probably helps, at least it helps me having an emergency fund to not sell when one of my stocks or one of my companies that I really like uh, has a big drop.
1: Yeah, that's well put. It goes against kind of investing inherently is having stop losses. Um, and I am I believe don't fall in love with an investment. I mean, don't hold on to perennial losers. Um, but that's not the same thing as, as initiating a stop loss because... I've had positions fall 10% in one day on bad earnings report and picked up the stock at a discount and it's worked out very well for me. So if I was to liquidate my whole position instead of thinking the opposite of this is a great company that just, you know, the market's overreacting, I I would say that that is value investing long-term mindset and that's going to perform much better than acting with emotions and initiating stop losses. So I think we're both aligned on that. Do you want to talk about Shopify? I'll let you uh, kick off.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, I'll... uh, Yeah, so uh, Shopify. So Shopify, obviously, I think everyone's uh, familiar with that. Their headquarters actually here in Ottawa. Um, So they've... grown significantly in the past few years just to say the least um just looking at them quickly um i'm familiar to some extent with them but uh uh looking at their um uh, their value while their income statement so you definitely see a significant increase in their revenues so um you'll see in 2014 it was slightly above uh a uh, hundred million dollars and now we're looking at uh, more recently over a billion dollar in revenue um so it's definitely increased uh, one of the big issues with them is they are losing quite a bit of money but they're reinvesting in growth uh, quite a bit um so i'll let braden i know you uh you that was your pick that you wanted to talk about so i'll let you continue on that
1: yeah i kind of put you on the spot there yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so I, this is you know one of the hottest stocks in Canada so I wanted to bring this one up and to give you some numbers here the stock is up 168% this year um, and up over 1200% since they IPO'd in May of 2015 so it's been uh, definitely nice to own however Um, it would never meet any of my screens due to the fact that it doesn't produce consistent profits. Um, And at the end of the day, stocks go up because of their earnings over a long period of time, Um, not because of infinite revenue growth, which they are seeming to achieve. Uh, They've done triple-digit revenue growth, triple-digit revenue growth. You don't hear that very often. Um, In 2013, 2014, 2015, And then through 2016 onwards now, they've done over 65% year over year in revenue growth. Um, So that is not too shabby. However, they are losing money. Um, It looks like they could, you know, (laughs) I hate that term path to profitability. It really bugs me. Um, But it looks like they they could get there. But I mean, we're talking about 27 times enterprise value to sales or 28, 28.9, just price to sales, regular price to sales. Um, you can't even look at it on a P to E metric because they don't have any earnings. 14.6 times tangible book value. Um, looking at all my regular metrics that I look at, but they're all negative because they don't turn a profit. So that's difficult to analyze them. But yeah, 27 times enterprise value to sales is outrageously expensive and i do not know how to value the company so i'll be sitting on the sidelines for eternity it looks like
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i'm kind of i i understand what they're trying to do um the problem is uh, same for me is the valuation is just crazy like uh, even if you're looking at it you're comparing it with itself it's kind of crazy right now it's yeah 28 29 times sales and it was um, kind of in the low teens in 2015, 2016. So even in it's like comparing Shopify against itself, it just it seems a bit overvalued, right? Well, a bit, a lot overvalued right now. Um, there's a lot of price and growth in there. And I think uh, I'll go back to what I've said on previous episodes, and I think when... Uh we ripped Uber apart, but, uh, uh, I mean, it's a bit the same. Yeah, it's a bit. I mean, it's not the same thing. It's a very different business. Um, so they don't have as much, as many expenses as, uh, Uber does with its drivers, but, uh, it's still losing money and. I'm looking at their financial, especially cash flow. Their free cash flow is just uh, going more in the negative. So they're reinvesting a lot of money in the business. And one of the other problems I have with um, these growth companies, if you look at the share count, um, it's close to doubled in uh, five years. So, I mean, it's fairly typical for new companies. They do want to grow, so they issue a lot of shares. Um, So that's not unusual, but the problem with issuing new shares is it dilutes existing shareholders. So that's something to keep an eye on as well.
1: Yeah, they have been diluting shares quite a bit. Um, And yeah, a lot of this stuff is to be expected with a mega young early growth stage company um yeah however it is i i can't i can't understand that price so every single episode we keep talking about companies that are like yeah they're cool They've done really great, but like super expensive. We sound so pessimistic, but uh, people keep wondering about really expensive companies. <laughs> Maybe next we, we should do a value pick next uh, next episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, we should definitely do that. I mean, if anyone wants to invest in Shopify, I would my personal advice would be, you know, if you want to do it, it's your own money. That's really up to you. But do it like just do it a very small portion at least. If it doesn't go well, you're not like wiped out or anything like that. Um, just I, I, would, I wouldn't touch it, but if someone wants to do it, just do it with like your fun money type of thing and just kind of see where it goes. Yeah,
1: because yeah, I mean, it is a. they do have a strong moat. The business model is really good. Um, they allow small businesses, mid-sized businesses to sell online um, and it, they make it really easy for everyone. I guess my question for you is... At 54 billion in market cap, do you think in five years we will look back at it ourselves and think 54 billion in market cap was cheap for Shopify?
0: So you're asking me to to give my take on if I think this will be the next Amazon, basically. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, that's, that's
1: how you have to look at yeah, it, right? Because I yeah. mean. I've said that about certain stocks. I, I yeah. looked at the market cap and thought, you know, like, maybe they could be the next 200 billion, 300 billion in market cap. Who knows?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can, for each Amazon, you can probably, uh, you know, for one Amazon, you can probably find a thousand businesses that did not go as well as they did. So I know Very everyone kind of goes back to Amazon and say it was always kind of highly priced. Um yeah, I, I mean they do have a lot of potential. Uh, for my big thing is if we end up entering a recession in the next couple of years, who knows if we will or not. But and money kind of dries up a little bit. Will there be an appetite for um, you know people buying into a company like Shopify? That's will probably still be losing money in a few years from now. Maybe not. Maybe they'll prove us wrong. Um, so that's that would be my take on it. Plus they're starting to entering a space. Where they are competing with Amazon and Walmart and these big players. So how, we, like, they've done very well. Don't get me wrong, but how will they fare against these humongous companies that are profitable? Amazon may be expensive, but it is profitable, um, and. Like I just don't know. The competition will ramp ramp up. That's for sure. Like um, so I yeah, I am definitely undecided for them. I don't think I would invest in them right now. Maybe if there's a significant pullback, but uh, definitely not right now.
1: Yeah, I know. There would definitely have to be a significant pullback. And chances are, if there's a significant pullback, this company could just have a, t- a terrible time in a recession. Um, just. For shareholders as well, since it's so high flying in price, it could be it could be bad news bears for everyone. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to invest in Shopify, you bring up a really good point, uh, Simon. Use maybe a small position uh, would be wise, as this thing is super high flying. I think I've said this about forty thousand times already, but it is trading at twenty seven times enterprise value to sales, um, which is you know. <laughs> really high, like insanely high. You don't see that very often. So if you were to invest in Shopify, probably take a small position, as Simon said. That is a wise uh, recommendation. That does it for this episode. You can always find investing resources at getstockmarket.com, which is available in the show notes of this episode. And on there, you'll be able to see a list of high-quality dividend stocks traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange with tons of metrics available there. Thanks for listening.
0: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.